You may have a seat. So we are in this series, sermon series, that's called, that's Judges, that's called You Be the Judge. We've been at it for about eight weeks. I think we have uh, just four weeks left. And it's on this, in this Old Testament book that has all these strange stories uh, that are entertaining sometimes or disturbing. They're often violent. And when you read them through, I think most often it's not just an obvious, oh, this is what God has for us. Sometimes it's like, why is this in the Bible? So we've been going through these stories, and one of the things that's helpful when we're trying to understand what's happening in the stories is to take what uh, Judges opens with that says there is this cycle that's going to repeat and to have that framework as we look at the different judges or heroes that come to God's people when they're in trouble. So here's the cycle. We've been talking about this. There is a period of time where they are serving the Lord and there's peace in the land. These are the people of God living with all kinds of people who don't follow God around them, who do evil things. And eventually they start living like everyone else all around them. And they start doing evil practices and they start living in ways that that aren't following God. And then when that happens, judgment comes. And when they are judged, when when they are turned over to just, well, if you want to live this way, then here are the consequences of living this way. When that happens, and usually it's another nation, another group of people that's come in to take over, it gets bad and they cry out to the Lord. And after they cry out to the Lord, God sends a deliverer, a judge, there's some person, sometimes there's a group of, couple people a part of it, but usually there's a leader, a person, a judge that delivers them, and then they're serving the Lord again, and there's peace in the land again. That has been the cycle. Now we are going to, this week and next week, talk about the last major judge in this book of Judges, and that's Samson. Today we're going to talk about the events leading up to Samson's birth, and next week, we're going to talk about the things that, he, that he's done. So, first verse of chapter 13 says this. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, here's something that I want to point out. Here's what's going to follow. Well, here's what's not going to follow. We see this has been a common ref- refrain, okay? They're here. Again, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. It doesn't get very specific, but that's because, for those of you who were here last week would know, there was this time where it said, it got so bad, they served so many uh, different gods, so many did such evil, it was getting so pervasive that they were turned over to the Amalekites and to the Philistines. And then last week, with Jephthah, we watched that it was the Amalekites that was the issue, and so... Then there was judgment, the Amalites came and they kind of crushed them, and then they cried out to the Lord, and what we're expecting with the cycle is then the judge would come, but that's not what happened right away. Instead, God said, no, I'm not going to save you. I'm not keeping this going, because they really weren't repenting. Once he said that, they were like, oh, okay, well, we'll get rid of our gods. Okay, well, we'll worship you. They were just crying out to him, but they weren't willing to change their lives. But he had such compassion on him, he still sent a judge, Jephthah. So that's what happened last week. Now this week, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They were uh, uh, tormented, oppressed, taken over, judged by the Philistines, and that's it. We don't even get to them crying out to the Lord. They've actually become used to just living like the Philistines live. 
And even though the, the Philistines rule over them, it says, they've just kind of said, we're just going to live how the Philistines live. They don't even get to the crying out. And yet God loves and cares about them so much, he's got to do it with a little different route, but he's going to send a judge, Samson. So here's what sets up that judge coming. Verse 2, a certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will, ha you will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman said to her husband, went to her husband and told him, A man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God, very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, and she repeats, You will become pregnant and have a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink, and do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb until the day of his death." few things here to note. One is that there's this Nazarite vow. This is found in Numbers, in one of the first books of the Bible, the Old Testament law that they would have, where they didn't cut their hair, where they didn't drink any fermented drink, whether it's alcoholic or non-alcoholic, and they didn't touch any dead bodies. They didn't, they didn't do anything that would make them unclean. And this was done usually for a season of time. Like there's a focus, like I'm getting prepared for something. I'm getting focused on something. I want to dedicate myself to the Lord. I want to live almost like a priest, which would be totally set apart. I want to live differently than other people. So usually it's done for a season of time, and you don't cut your hair, and people know it. But God's saying, you're going to have a baby, and they're going to do it for their whole life. They're going to be set apart for their whole life. It's such a special purpose for their whole life. So, in fact, it's going to start right now with you before you, the baby even's inside you. You start by doing these things until the baby is born. That's what happens. Next, then Manoah prayed. By the way, it starts by saying there's this man named Manoah. Then it gets to a nameless woman. And, but the, the person, the messenger of the Lord, comes to her. She recognizes this guy. It's like an angel. Now watch, there's a contrast of this named man and this nameless woman. It's subtle, but it's speaking to the ways that, that people viewed gender at the time, which was women are second class. They might be even like property. They can't be witnesses in the court of law. That's, that's how the Jews thought about it, the Greeks eventually, the Romans. It was terrible how they thought about women. But it got even worse when you go to the, the other tribes around it, how, how abusive, how bad. And this, written by men at a time when that was just commonly, normally understood, has this subtle message in it because of God's inspired it. Okay, here we go. Verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I beg you to let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. God heard Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field. But her husband, Manoah, was not with her. The woman hurried to tell her husband, He's here the man who appeared to me the other day. Manoah got up and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, Are you the man who talked to my wife? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, When your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule that governs the boy's life and work? 
The angel of the Lord answered, Your wife must do all that I have told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or other fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything I have commanded her. So the man's saying like, okay, now back, back in that day, woman did not count as a witness. Okay? She, he's going off of what she told him that she who couldn't get pregnant is all of a sudden going to get pregnant. And he, he believed her. So he prayed like, okay, to have this, could you come again so we know how to do it? So I know how to do it because I'm in charge of the family. And so the messenger of the Lord comes again and he comes to her again. And she has to go get him and bring her. And he says, now what do we have to do? Mainly what do I have to do? Because I'm in charge because I'm the man. What do I have to do? What are we, how do we raise this boy? What are the things we have to do? And he says, well, she has to do this and this and this. Then you're good. Okay. This had to be back in the day. This had to be like, oh, a little jarring. Okay. I'm not going to read the next part. I'm just going to tell you what happens. So Manoah says at that point, hey, can you stay for dinner? There's all kinds of stuff about Middle Eastern hospitality. Like this is, this is the thing to do. And the, the angel of the Lord says, no, I'm not going to eat anything. But if you want to make a sacrifice to the Lord, that's what you could do. You could do a burnt offering to the Lord. So the the guy says, hey, what's your name? Manoah says, what's your name? So that when your word is fulfilled, then I'll, I'll know who to, who to give credit to. And he says, why do you ask my name? It's, it's beyond your understanding. It's too wonderful for you. Okay? And then they get the sacrifice. They burn up the bull. It's going up, and it says the Lord does a wonder. He does something amazing. Verse 20, as the flame blazed up to the, from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. We are doomed to die, he said to his wife. We have seen God. But his wife answered, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things, or now told us this. So, they do the, the burnt offering, an angel, like the, the guy, he was an angel, but they must have thought he was a human being, but all of a sudden, shoo, he goes up in the offering, and they're like, that's God. Oh my goodness, and, and they're both just, they know they're on holy ground. The response of the guy is so, he's so freaked out. Like, he's right, if you see God, you die. He's right, but she kind of gets, she's wise. She's like, well, if he really wanted to kill us, then he wouldn't be telling us this is what's going to happen in our future. So she has a sensitivity. He actually is a, is, I think there's lots of evidence that he is a godly man. But the woman is elevated, which doesn't happen back then. And I think there's a message in there for societies that push down women that had said, well, women aren't, um, they aren't spiritual. That's because that's what it said back then. Anyway, that message is being blown apart by the inspired word of God at a time when that would be really strange for that to happen. Now, here's what I want to do with this story the rest of the way. I want to talk about the parents. So today we're going to talk about family. What does this story talk to us about family? Next week we'll talk about sex. Then the week after that we'll talk about religion. And then the week after that we'll talk about politics. So all the things you're not supposed to talk about in family, that's what we're going to talk about the next week. So this week we're going to talk about family. But that's where the stories are going. It's clear. You can't tell the talk, 
go through these stories and not see that that's what the next three weeks are about. That's what we're going to do then. But now we get to do family. So here's what I want to just point out. This says a few things about parenting that I think are important. Jill, if you can give the first slide. Parenting starts when the child's in the womb. Parenting starts when the child's in the womb. The child isn't even born yet, and he's saying, the Lord's saying, you need to start now because what happens now while the child in the womb is going to affect their life. It's going to affect their life. And the dad is praying even before the child comes, even as the child comes. There sometimes is a thought that it doesn't matter what's going on in here. Or even once a baby's born, like, well, they're not going to remember that anyway. They won't remember anything anyway. But the reality is that what happens to us when we're very young impacts us for the rest of our lives. One counselor person was telling me, and this is 10 years ago, that our capacity to experience joy gets mainly hardwired into us by the time we're four years old. Now, I don't know where they got that from, but I will say that it's been pretty consistent that when I've heard from counselors or the little bit I know of psychology, that it's, it matters. Traumatic things happen, scary things happen. You know, people watch the, the stuff that's on TV these days, like the movies that are often geared towards kids, just like evil. Well, it's not really matter. It will matter. It will get stored. Now, on the flip side, what parents can do or grandparents can do to show love to a little one while they're in the womb. So when Camille was pregnant, which was often in our lives, we have five kids, anyway, we would, we would pray for her. And sometimes if we put her hand on a belly, by the way, people who think you can just put your hand on a pregnant woman's belly, what is with that? Maybe COVID will change that. I always thought that was strange. Like people just start touching my wife because she's pregnant. Oh, you're like, you can't touch my stomach. Why can't you touch her stomach? Anyway, but I can touch her stomach because I'm married to her. So when we would pray to her for, for the baby, we would notice that if we put our hand here to pray, the baby would come over. You put our hand here to pray to send a love, the baby will come over. What happens within the womb? Now, whether it's in the womb or whether it's afterwards, there could be a lot of trauma. God can bring healing to that. God can bring healing, but, but I think start with the womb. Start by, this is a, a child that's going to be raised in love, and we're going to start it right now. Next slide, Jill. Parental covenants or vows matter. So they made this vow. They also circumcised Samson. Ouch. But that had to do with, they were saying that was the way. They didn't have baptism there then. That's the new covenant. In the old covenant, circumcise the males to say that this family belongs to the Lord. This child is going to be raised in the Lord, in the Lord's community. We are making promises. We will always be loyal to the Lord. That's what our family is going to do. That was the sign. I want to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But then the last one is parental obedience matters more than parental strategy. So Manoah said, God, or, you know, God, can you send that messenger back so I know what to do? How do I raise my kid? What do I do that's right or wrong? What do I do? And then 
He comes and he says, okay, what do I do? And his response is, she needs to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. A lot of times we'll be, I, I mean, I hear this sometimes. Well, we're back to the church. Well, back to the church because my kids, I want my kids to get church because church would be good for them. But it doesn't sound like it's very important to you. And I think we pick up on that. The biggest thing we can do for our children to help them follow the Lord is to follow the Lord ourselves wholeheartedly and genuinely. I mean, books on parenting, strategies on parenting, all that stuff's good. But I got five kids. I'm clueless. I I mean, there's just, I don't know. They're all different. It's different. But am I following Jesus? I want them to follow Jesus. Am I following Jesus? So, Those three things were happening with them. Now look at verse 23, or 24, I mean. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the the Lord blessed him. So you see, there was ways that both mother and father were already starting when the child was in the womb. They uh, They made vows, they did circumcision, they did the rituals, but it wasn't just rituals for them. And they were obedient. And then Samson was blessed. And so I think the moral of the story is, if you do these things well, if you follow the Lord well, your kids will turn out great. And that would be true if we stopped the story there. If, you, if your kids didn't turn out great, you must not have done enough of the right stuff. That's not actually what this story teaches us. Let's just go on to verse 14. Now that Samson's grown up a little bit, Samson, or chapter 14, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. Now, here's the thing about this. Samson, when the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord came to him, they said, you know, you need to do all these things because Samson's going to be the one that delivers his people from the Philistines. They know that's part of his destiny. And he, instead of wanting to go fight the Philistines, instead of wanting to say we're going to live different than the Philistines, he goes to marry a Philistine. And when his parents say, it's not like a racial thing, like against interracial marriage, it's against marrying someone that's, that's not following the Lord, the uncircumcised. That was the important part. That's the uncircumcised people. They are in covenant with the Lord, and you're going to go marry them. And so they're trying to reason with him, and he basically says, this would be how, for, this is so prettied up for us, because we're used to kids not listening to their parents. Kids, when they're adults, saying, like, my parents, don't, it doesn't matter what they say. My, all that matters is what I say. But that's not what's true back then. What he was doing right there was like, that, to his dad. I kept it down. Don't worry, buddy. He didn't. What he was doing was just like that. Like that, dad. Drop dead, dad. Which you did not do back then. They had done everything. They had asked, what do you want us to do? How do we do it? They had been faithful. They had been obedient. They had tried to guide him. And next week we'll see he just lived completely different than following the Lord his whole life. 
They try to stay with him in that. They just challenge. How do you walk with your child when they're living in a, when they're living in addiction or when they're living? How do you walk with your child like that when they're living in a way that's totally different beliefs than you? How do you love them and stay with them? And how do you do that? It's just heartbreaking. That's what was happening in this story. He even got them to do things that would make them unclean, and they didn't realize it. And he kept it secret from them how he had done it. There's no guarantees in how our parenting works. That's not what happened there. Now, spoiler alert for next week. Samson was like a superhero. He crushed people. And then at the end of his life, all of a sudden, that didn't work. There's a reason why, and we'll talk about it next week. But he got captured. He had his eyes plucked out. And he was a slave to the Philistines. And there's a prayer at the end of his life, verse 28. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. And let me, with one blow, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Now, the word This is a prayer that's basically like, I'm motivated by revenge, right? So did he really come back? Well, the word, the the prayer, remember me, is a covenant prayer to them. It is a, remember your promises to me. I don't deserve this. I haven't been faithful. But could you still be faithful to me? I still want you to be my God. And God answers his prayer. In verse 31, then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtold in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel 20 years. I think what the story is saying is at the end of his life, he came back into the covenant community. His whole life, he was living the opposite way. Here is my opinion. My opinion is, when we do this, it's not an automatic. It's not a, well, they were baptized as a baby, so we know they're automatically going to have eternal life. But when we do this, the spirit realm and God himself takes it really, really seriously. Two, two different missionaries. One, a missionary in Africa. Another, a missionary in Latin America, who I've heard talk about this. They talk about the witch doctors and the ceremonies they do to dedicate their children to the gods and how difficult it is when something like that happens to break that power. So one person can, be, can convert and it goes, goes. But if you've got that in your past, it is harder. And they say, this missionary tells me, they believe when there is a baptism, when there is a baptism as an adult, when there is a declaration as an adult into the covenant community, they say it matters in the spirit realm. Evil's going to come at all of us, but there is something, there is some bigger force. I don't understand all that. And the, the one from Latin America that 
missionary who also, after he kind of retired from the field, was a, a professor at a seminary for many years, just he believes in his experience, not that it's always, but it is a lot harder for someone to fall away and stay away from the Lord when they've done this because God takes this so seriously. And that's what our story would say. It would say even though Samson did everything opposite of following the Lord, he had parents who said, we're, and God honored that. And I would say if a person themselves does this, does this. God honors that. There is something significant about that. So how will we end? I'll have the worship team come up now. Just thinking about what we should pray for. I feel like we should pray for things out of this passage. One of the things I think we should pray for is people who are trying to have babies but aren't having babies. I've some, there's a mystery of, of God. One time there was this couple. Oh, dear. I started the story. I'm going to keep it going now. I didn't mean to. There was a couple who had been asking me to pray for them because they couldn't have a child. And I got a word that I heard Camille use once. Maybe it was for Scrabble or something like that. Fecundity. Fecundity. That's the word that kept coming to my mind. Well, it means, what does it mean? Fertility, you know, you're fertile. So I went to them, and I said, I've been praying for you, and I've been praying fecundity. And they're like, what? And I walked away. I said, I don't know, that's what I'm praying. They looked it up. They had just found out they were pregnant two days earlier. They now have four kids. They've been trying for several years to have kids. That's not always how we've walked with people who've gone through adoption, but I think it matters. Let's try to pray for people who are wanting to conceive and have kids. That's one thing. Here's another thing. Not all of us got this. Whether we got it in the ritual, not all of us got this. Passed on. But we are part of a family of God that goes beyond blood. That's the community of faith can be our family, and so could we release blessing that we're all looking for. That's the other thing that I really want us to, to pray about today. So, here we go. God, in every family, there are blessings that can be passed down and there are curses that can be passed down. You say it's for, to the third and fourth generation, the curses, but the blessings come from a thousand generations back. So just start right now by breaking curses in the name of Jesus that might have come from our family lines. For all who agree with me, you can silently just agree that we want the curses to be broken in the name of Jesus. And instead, you who are filled with glorious riches, who has grace upon grace and blessing upon blessing that's just stored up in your treasure houses and who loves to give them. I pray that even today you would start releasing more of your blessings into our lives, into our children's lives, into our family members' lives that we care about.
pray for blessing. And I ask that as this song is sung, that some of us would be able to just pray, some of us would sing it, some of us would receive it, some of us would send it. But what we're trying to do is get in touch with you and your blessings, which we know we so desperately need. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come among your people. You, the one who blesses and heals, delivers and saves, who brings life, who brings light, May all of that flow into us this morning in these few moments together. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.